This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lay some up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Scott McLaughlin. This is episode 179. Scott, the Bruins fell to the Nashville Predators last night, 2-1. to one. For all intents and purposes, it was a one nothing game for the most part, and then Nashville scored an empty net goal, and then Pasternak scored his 52nd of the year with tenths of a second remaining. Um, the, this handed the Bruins their 12th regulation loss in the year. So, you know, the... the as we talk about the skies never falling with this team, but um, wasn't there wasn't their greatest effort, and and to a to a player they know that. Yeah, it you know these are the games that are going to happen, and you just hope they don't pile up. Um, you know, like that stretch a few weeks ago where it kind of stretched into four straight games of lackluster efforts, but you know Jim Montgomery touched on after the game. Brad Marchand said that it's the toughest schedule he's ever seen or been a part of. And, you know, they're they're not lying. Like, I don't think they're using that as an excuse. I think they're just stating facts. Like, their Tuesday night was their 12th game in a stretch that sees them play 15 games in 25 days. Like, that's it's just crazy. It's five straight weekends of back-to-backs playing Saturday and Sunday. They just finished the third of them. And they're finally going to get a little bit of a respite after this coming weekend where they go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday without a game. That'll be the first time they've had more than one day off between games in a month, like just about a full month. I think it's like 29 or 30 days. So it it is a brutal schedule. And I know, you know, Bergeron, Martian, Lindholm got Sunday off and they're going to work in some days off for other guys. But, you know, a lot of these guys are are playing all these games are pretty close to all of them. So, yeah, you're going to get some duds. You add in the fact that, you know, Nashville's not a playoff team. They're from out west, so you can't even kind of – can't even, like, re- really manufacture a rivalry or motivation like maybe you could with Montreal or even Ottawa, a team that's played you tough this year that, you know, might provide some extra motivation – Nashville, like, yeah, I mean, the Bruins have had some battles with them in recent years, but those are different teams. Uh, this year's Predators, like, there's really nothing there that's going to, you know, catch the Bruins' attention. They're going to run into this again on Thursday, by the way, when they host the Columbus Blue Jackets, who have the worst record in the league. So, you know, I thought, like, the other interesting thing Martian said after was that, you know, they have at least been able to get up for bigger games. Obviously, they swept Tampa and Carolina over the weekend. And I think as long as that remains true, I'm not going to get too worried about a game like Tuesday where, yeah, it just it was just a dud. You know, as Jim Montgomery put after the game, you're going to lay some eggs. And especially when when you are, 
you know, you're about to clinch the president's trophy with 10 games to go. You've already, I mean, there, there's really nothing for them to play for other than to maintain good habits and stuff like that. And, and they've done that. It's just that you get to a certain point where, like you said, there's only so much you can get up for a game before you just got, you start looking ahead to the playoffs. You're like, I, we just, we just want to get to the playoffs already. Now you can't look ahead. Cause then that's when those bad habits creep in. But like you said, it's not like they've been doing this all the time. It's one game. Um, you know, the schedule though, is the schedule really that much more difficult? I know you listed the 15 games in 25 days, but I feel like the, the schedule has always been pretty bad, especially towards, towards April. Like didn't last year, the Bruins, I think it was last year. Like they didn't they have like one game in the first two weeks of the season, and then like the last like two months they had a game like every other day, just about. Yeah, yeah. I I do think there's like a larger issue where the NHL seems to really backload the schedule for just about everyone, and I think I think players would probably prefer the opposite. Like I think they would rather stack a bunch of games early, get into the flow of the season, and have some more off days built in later. Um, but even with that, so like the stretch last year, I think now it's a little longer, like over two months, but I think came out to like 31 or 32 games in 60 days, which again is tough over like a long period of time, but they didn't have this many back-to-backs. And like this, that part of it is pretty rare, I think, is the five straight weekends of back-to-backs. That, I can't remember ever seeing that. And, you know, I don't think anyone like Montgomery has said he hasn't seen it. Players have said they can't remember playing a schedule like that. It's like, you know, it's like a college schedule where you're playing, you know, college plays every Friday and Saturday. It's like that or, or an HL schedule where you have a lot of Friday, Saturday, Sundays, except at least in those leagues, you're not also playing Tuesday and Thursday leading up to that. So, you know, that part of it, I do think is unique and is probably catching up to them a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's not like they're the only team with a tough schedule, but the weekend back-to-backs are, are fairly unique. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would ask you, Scott, if, if a loss like last night concerns you and, um, but I'm not going to ask you that because I know it doesn't, and it doesn't concern me either. So I, I, I think it's just kind of, I think honestly, we kind of feel the same way the team does where it's like, uh, let's just get there. <laughs> like it's, 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 you know. But but it does pose a que- it does pose a concern. We talked about this before, where it's like inevitably the Bruins are going to play a wild card team that's been playing playoff caliber hockey for a while just to secure their spot in the postseason. So that's why it is important for like the Bruins to hit the ground running in round one, game one, and, and match that desperation and match that that level of playoff caliber, playoff style play, because they're not going to be facing a team that's been playing meaningless games for a while, and. I know that's kind of unfair to the Bruins because like they haven't done anything wrong and, and it's not that then their games are meaningless because they've been so good. Right. So I'm just, I'm, my point is they just have to be cognizant of that fact. Like you're like, it's not like Tampa, Toronto, Tampa and Toronto, they've been locked into their, that two, three matchup. They've been locked into that for months. Right. And so like both of those teams are going to be in the same level of playing field where it's going to be like, we both have to rev up for that, for that round. But in the Bruins situation, the one versus wild card two, it's going to kind of be, like I said, they're going to be playing a team that's been, they've been battling for, for jockeying for position, for playoff life and whatnot. So that's the only thing that comes to my mind. But I just, I, I don't, 
the Bruins have way too much depth and talent and character for that to be an issue with me. Uh, and certainly not after last night's game. Um, yeah. Did you have a follow up on that? Yeah. And, it, and it's not like any of those wildcard teams are playing great hockey. Like, you know, Florida had gotten hot for a little bit and now it's cooled off again. Islanders and Penguins, it seems like every time you think one of them might, you know, be starting to potentially pull away and, and find some security and get, you know, a little bit of a gap, they slip up and lose one or two. And it's like, so there's a little consistency in, in those teams that are battling for those playoff spots. But to your point, like, it's just the level of intensity. So, like, those teams aren't as good as the Bruins. Obviously, they're not even close. But yeah, like at least they are playing meaningful games and, you know, battling in a way that that's going to have a little more desperation than what the Bruins are doing. Um, you know, for the Bruins, I, I've mentioned this before, but like it, it has stood out to me and I've had it circled on my calendar for a while now is Jim Montgomery a few weeks ago highlighted that game next Thursday against Toronto as the game where he really feels like it'll feel like the final stretch. You know, he was asked if it felt like that after the deadline. He said, no, kind of still feels like we're in the grind of it. And he pointed to that game. Like that's when they get back from this weekend road trip, have that Monday through Wednesday off and then turn it. You kick off your last five games of the season with Toronto at home. Like that should be one you get up for. So I'm not going to really have any level of concern until or unless we see like those final five games go sideways. You know, like if they've identified this as, you know, all right, this is where we ramp up for the playoffs and they come out flat and like lose three or four during that stretch. Then I'd be like, uh, okay, that's a little different than what they were telling us. Um, but you know, until then it's like, yeah, a slip up against Nashville. That's fine. If they don't, you know, look their absolute best against Columbus, like, yeah, you would love to see them just dominate Columbus because obviously they can and should, but that there's also very little motivation for that game. So, you know, Pittsburgh over the weekend, like that could be a good one. That's a team you could potentially face in the first round. So I would think that might be one that you can get up for like this past weekend with Tampa and Carolina. So let me ask you this. Let's say that down the stretch here, they, you know, they finish up with like a, you know, 750 winning percentage kind of, you know, which actually would be less than what they currently have on the entire season. But let's just say that, you know, they're winning eight out of the, you know, eight of the last 10 games, seven of the last 10 games, whatever. Um, but in doing so, the power play continues to be uh, anemic. And, and you mentioned to me before we started recording that they, once again, they went over five last night. Um, it's been a struggle for the last 20 games or so. 20, it, it's been 20, 27. It's been a third of the season. So oh, wow. I, I look, I looked at these numbers because um, something about this uh, that will hopefully be up a little later Wednesday. Um, yeah. Their last 27 games, which is exactly a third of the season. They are 11 of 93, 11.8% second wow. worst in the NHL during that time. Only the Chicago Blackhawks have been worse. So yeah, like it's not, you know, like I think you can, when it comes to the power play, it's like, all right, if you want to lump that in with everything else Tuesday night and be like, okay, it's just an all-around dud and the power play is part of that. Oh, but it's not like it's just that one game for the power play, though. So that's why that is actually like the one legitimate concern. Um, 
because it's nat- it's been way more than a few games or even a couple weeks. Like th- this goes back to late January. You're talking over two months now that it's been, you know, not just below average, but legitimately one of the worst power plays in the NHL. So, and, you know, I think for a long time, I, I know I felt this way. I think a lot of people felt this way was, you know, you felt like, all right, they'll eventually get going. You know, at some point during down the stretch, like, they'll find more urgency and, and it'll get going. They'll figure it out. There's too much talent out there. They've done it before. They were, you know, one of the top three power plays in the league early in, earlier in the season, but it just keeps dragging on. And now you're at eight games left in the regular season and it's still not fixed. And it still looks just as sloppy as it has like throughout this whole stretch. And I feel like, you know, you're getting to the point where like you're running out of time to have it to really fix it before the playoffs and really start to feel good about it because I do think it's in guys' head. Like, I don't think it's just about execution, although obviously that's a huge part of it, but I think it's in guys' heads. And, and I asked Montgomery about that after the game Tuesday, and he said as much. He's like, Yeah, it is in guys' heads. Like, you know, guys aren't jumping on rebounds, loose pucks. They're trying to make the perfect play, like, you know, stuff that, right? Like, the, the more you try to fix something, sometimes the, the worse you make it. Like, the, you start to overthink it, and, you you know, you want everything to be perfect, and, and you want it to look good. And, and sometimes, like, the better approach is almost to have, I don't want to say carefree, but to have, like, a looser mindset where it's, like, just go out and, and play hockey, like pass to the open guy, take shots. And it does seem like there's an element of overthinking it for them and kind of having it snowball and just pile up in their minds. So that, so that begs the question, if this is, if this is uh remains a pattern and you mentioned it, it's been the last third of the season. Now there's still a top, what, 12, 13 power play in the league, right? I think they said they're still, are they 11th? Uh, they're 15th now, so they're oh. middle of the pack overall. Well, then, okay, then then they get what they deserve then. Um, so it begs the question, Scott, can, if the power play remains this quiet, can the Bruins still win a cup if that's the case? Because special teams is obviously a very important part of the postseason. It's part of the NHL game that is today. Of course, in 2011, the Bruins won the Stanley Cup with, out a great power play, but have, have times changed a little bit more since then? Yeah. I mean, yes, I think they can win a cup without having a great power play. I, I think it probably has to be a little better than it's been. Um, but you know, they're so good that they could more or less play special teams even where like, okay, their power play isn't scoring but their penalty kill has been really good all year. And it, it's had a couple hiccups with Forbert out, but I think it, for the most part, it still looked pretty good and has been pretty good results wise. Um, So you, your penalty kill can, you know, shut down your opponent's power play and special teams can just be boring, low scoring affairs where not much happens. And then the Bruins can win at five on five where they're better than, pretty much everyone. Like if you want to make a case for Carolina, they're a really good five on five team, but yeah. So the Bruins can win series and they can win the cup 
without a great power play, but it makes it a heck of a lot tougher because now your margin for error has really shrunk. You know, if you have this Bruins team, that's as good in every other area and you get the power play going at, you know, at least at 20 plus percent. Well, now it's, you know, that much tougher to beat the Bruins because now not only can they beat you a five and five, but if you take penalties, they're going to make you pay. And that's like the other part of it is your success in the power play. Like that can change how opponents play against you. You know, if the Bruins aren't scoring and by the way, also are giving up some shorthanded chances, then teams are probably going to play them a little more physical and not as afraid of penalty. Whereas the way the power play is humming along at, you know, in it, insane event. it's like yeah i think when teams play them they are very conscious of making sure they don't take penalties because they know that that power play there's really good chance it's gonna make them pay um you know so yeah long answer of saying like yes they can win without it improving a whole lot but it sure as hell would make their life a lot easier if they could get it going so I want to ask you two questions to follow up on that. Number one, if the playoffs were to start tomorrow, what would your five-man unit be? And, and I think the, the biggest question mark there would be the defenseman on the top of the umbrella, unless you would like to go with a five-forward look, five forward look, but I don't think you would. And then my second question would be, are you open to like shuffling around the role of the personnel? Like, would, like, like if things are going stale, like, should should Pasternak slide over to the bumper for 20 seconds and have Bergeron go out to the flank or like Marshan go to the bumper if the puck's near the side of the ice? Like, like, I, like, should they should they be so? First of all, it's a tough question because I I do feel like they should keep it stupid simple, like you mentioned, just get the puck to the net. And I feel like when I'm asking you, it might overcomplicate things, but um, and they, and they don't need that to happen right now. But like. Do you think that they're just in their heads because they're so locked in on like what their specific role is when they get in the, the ozone? Like there's not just enough creativity and just natural playmaking. Yeah. I, I think that's been a problem for a while is it, it seems like everyone wants to get to their spot. And then once they're there, they don't move enough. And I, you know, I think back to something I asked Montgomery before the season about, because he talked about how he wanted his, five on five play to be really fluid with, you know, defensemen jumping in guys moving around covering for each other. And I asked if that also applied to how he wanted the power play to play. And he kind of like poo pooed and said to him, power plays more about puck movement than body movement. But I feel like that's kind of burned the Bruins at times. Like I, I think they could benefit from more body movement of guys just moving around popping up in different spots. Like some of the few highlights I can think of, of the power play recently have been like Martian and Pasenak flipping elbows or DeBrusque cycling out high and, and like making something happen, kept like driving downhill instead of just standing at the net front. And I think that now, and like now you look at Charlie McAvoy in the second unit. And I think he's had a lot more freedom to move. I think that second unit has been, uh, has had a lot more movement and he's been given some freedom to kind of roam around and jump down the wing. And I feel like that's help. It at least looks more dangerous. You know, I don't 
know that it's led to like a ton more goals, but it's something different. And I think it puts penalty kills in, in a, in an awkward situation where now they're defending guys in different spots than what they've seen on video. Um, whereas when McAvoy is on the top unit or Lindholm or Orlov or whoever's been up there as the quarterback, it seems like they just stay more or less in that center point spot, maybe a little bit of walking the blue line, but I'm like, I don't know. I, I would have more body movement in it. It seems like there's been times where they've tried to incorporate that, um, but not enough to me. So as far as personnel, like, I don't know, maybe it's time to put McAvoy back there on the top unit, but I would do that telling him, Hey, we want you to play the way you've been playing the second unit. You know, we want you to have more freedom to move around. Like I don't want McAvoy going back to the top unit and just standing at center point because that doesn't, that's nothing different than what Lindholm or Orlov can do. Yeah, I agree with you. And I feel like, I feel like uh, one of the most important aspects of a power play is puck retrieval. And I feel like if you're implementing what you're discussing, I feel like that allows the Bruins to be quicker on pucks because you're already moving. You're not stationary. You're not in your spot. And I think that helps too. And people will oftentimes say, Oh man, the power play is struggling. There's way too much talent on the on this power play for it to be struggling, which is true. But they're kind of limiting their their own capabilities. They're lowering their ceiling. They're 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 kind of because there's because yeah, there's a ton of talent out there, but that's but they're not allowing themselves to utilize it because they're just like you said, they're staying in like their five, you know, they're like they're like ten foot radius of, of of their position. Like they get in the offensive zone and then Bergeron goes to the bumper. And yeah, he moves up and down in it, but okay. I mean, he's that's that's not moving around the ozone. Like Marshan goes to his, he goes to his right wing, you know, ha, uh, you know, left right circle, and he just kind of posts up, and he'll go to the goal line, he'll go, you know, towards the blue line, but that's kind of it. Possum was a little bit more. DeBrusque is is responsible for puck retrieval, so he'll go beneath be the goal line. But the reason that Marshan and Bergeron have been dangerous for so long is because when they because they're on five at five on five and on the PK, they move more in the PK in the ozone because there's less guys, so they do more. But when they're moving, they're they're cerebral. But when they stop moving their feet and they just kind of stick to their positions on the power play, then they just be they just become human and they become predictable. So and their skill set isn't they're not enabling their skill set. So yeah, they have all the skill, but they're not putting themselves in a position to use it. And what you talked about I think would absolutely um help that. And I would agree with you on the McAvoy thing too. I think I think that uh, I would like to see him there too. I do think Lindholm is probably the best one at getting pucks to the net um, through traffic and stuff like that, and that's been evidence uh, evident this year as well. But I just think from a, from what we're talking about from movement, um, McAvoy and Lindholm can move too. But like McAvoy just kind of has that that swagger when he when he's going, and I think that that unit could use that. Um, I want to keep it to one player on the power play real quick before we move on to some. Sure. Team. Yeah. yeah. For a second there, I thought you were gonna. Uh, I thought you were gonna try the will versus skill thing again. That you're <laughs> gonna give that another shot after last podcast. I'll have to put that on the back burner for another time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, but there is some there is some personnel news to get to on the Bruins. Um, but before we get to that, I want to keep it to to David Pasternak because I I mentioned off the top he got his 50 second goal of the year, and I guess my question to you is: Do you see him? 
uh, eclipsing Cam Neely's 55-goal mark. I think he set back in 89-90, I think, something like that, for most goals by Bruin and whatever it's been, you know, 30-plus years. Since Esposito, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, I guess I probably do. He's certainly on pace to, to pass that. I think he's probably at, what, like 58-goal pace or something, um, or 57. But, you know, that could also depend on, you know, does he get a game or two off here at some point? He's one of the few guys left who's played every game this season. So, um, yeah, I think he probably will because we see him right now in one of these stretches where he now has, you know, three goals in the last two games. Um, I think you could see him, you know, pile up a few more in bunches, especially with some a couple weaker teams coming up on the schedule and, you know, Columbus, St. Louis over the weekend. So, yeah, I guess he probably will, and that'll be the most for Bruins since Esposito. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think 60 is absolutely in sights. I mean, because we know we know he can score a hat-trick any given game, and as you mentioned, there's some weak opponents up here. So, um I mean, he. I can see him potting two goals against Pittsburgh and Columbus each, and then you know it's, and then you know that he's at what fifty-seven with like whatever. So, sixties in sight, which is, I mean, that's that's pretty crazy. How many sixty-goal scores have there been in the NHL in the last? I mean, really ever, but especially in the last, I like, call it thirty, forty years. I mean, I know it was Ovechkin yeah. and Matthews and McDavid is approaching it, but Stamkos, I think, did it once. Did he get it once? Okay, I think so. Okay, I mean, but. Pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah, that, that that's in sight. You know, it's crazy but, that McDavid's already at sixty. Like, oh, did he, did he finally get sixty? Oh yeah, he got yeah. Few, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty crazy. I know. <laughs> Fuck. He, I mean, he gets seventy probably. Um. Okay, so Scott, there's some there's some conflicting reports out there about one Taylor Hall. If you want to get to that now, and obviously Nick Felino was practicing in a non-contact jersey, but first time back with the team at Warrior this week. And so these are good signs for the Bruins from a health perspective. But, Scott, um, that, that, damn, that damn salary cap, is there an issue here? Uh, so I guess it depends on who you talk to, because Darren Drager went on TSN Tuesday night on their insider trading segment and said – According to his sources, Taylor Hall feels that he is ready. The problem is the Bruins don't have the cap space to activate him. Uh, you know, went on to say that people around the league are interested to see how the Bruins manage this. Do they try to stretch it out like the Lightning did with Nikita Kucherov and not bring him back till the start of the playoffs? Uh, Jim Montgomery was asked about that report after the game and said, the only thing I can say is that I know that he is not cleared. That's what I know. So that report to me is false. Um, what's interesting to me is that Dreger didn't mention anything about moving either Felino or Derek Forbert to long-term IR, which unless it's part of the cap that I'm missing, which I don't think there is because even at, at on Twitter t- tweeted out last night and those people are like cap beyond what I am. And the Bruins can do this. Like they can just move one of those other guys to LTIR and they have enough cap space to activate Hall. So I don't know, you know, why Drager left that out or, or seem to be, or maybe 
he was just expecting everyone to be healthy before the end of the regular season. But, you know, the Bruins have said that, uh, or Montgomery said that they don't expect forward back until the playoffs. So I feel like you could do that. And then you might have to send someone down. Like, I think you'd probably have to send down a Steen or maybe even a Lyo um, to free up an extra, you know, few hundred thousand more. But they there are ways they can activate Taylor Hall off long-term IR before the end of the regular season. So I don't – it was just odd that Dreger left that part of it out. Um, you know, I guess that the story would be, like, if, if Hall really does think he's ready and, you know, if that leaks, like, coming from him or his camp, and that maybe puts the pressure on the broom to not drag it out as long. But I don't drag it out with Hall. Like, I until he's until 100%. They don't want to rush it or bring him back at 85. But, they, you know, they're probably going to try a Hall-Coyle-Bertuzzi third line. And I think they want to try that in regular season games and not have the first time be, you know, game one of the playoffs. So I I don't think it's like the Kucherov situation because I don't think the Bruins really want to drag this all the way into the playoffs. I think they would prefer to probably move Felino or or Forbert to LTIR and get Hall into some games um, because his return is the one that creates more lineup questions that where you're, you're, you know, probably trying some different things. Whereas, Felino and Forbert are more, you can just plug those guys back in and play. Like Felino's going on the fourth line when, whenever he's back in. Forbert's going on the third pairing whenever he's back in. So you don't have to te- test stuff and move stuff around with those guys. So yeah, it was, it was interesting, Drager's report, but I, I felt like it was missing some context for sure. So I want to ask you a very, very oversimplified question to probably a more complicated answer, but I feel like it's one that a lot of Bruins fans are probably thinking to themselves. I know I am, and I'm too lazy to really do all the homework on it. So that's why I have you here. But um, so like, if like, is there a scenario where in the playoffs, the Bruins can ice all of their trade deadline acquisitions in addition to Taylor Hall, Nick Foligno and Derek Forbert? Like, like what's like, because cause I feel like what we've been talking about the whole time is like one of them is going to have to be out first. But like what happens when they're all – say it's like the second round or like or end of the first round and they're like they're all good to go, like Hathaway, Orloff, Bertuzzi, Forbert, Felino, Taylor Hall, and like the Bruins finally have this like just super roster. Like can they can that happen or does somebody always have to kind of like be – I don't know, stipend. I don't no, know. That, that they, they can do it. Uh, no – salary cap in the playoffs and there's no roster limit so they can they can have everyone have and then you're then the only limit is you know you're 18 skaters per game but yeah as far as having everyone with the team on the active roster uh they can absolutely do that once the playoffs start because there's no limits like there is in the regular season okay so it's as simple as that like playoffs it's just it's anything goes it's all that that's why it's all about the maneuvering at the deadline because once you have the roster at the deadline you can fake then it's just cap manipulation until game 82 finishes yeah the the one thing i would add is like the the rules for ltir 
carry into the playoffs. So I think it's it's ten games or twenty four days or something. I believe is you know you have to be on LTIR at least that long. But that is retroactive. So like even if you moved Forbert or Felino to LTIR now, it doesn't reset the clock. It would still date to the time of their injuries, and both would be at that amount of time by the time the playoffs start. So there would be no issue of like they haven't been on LTIR long, so they can't come on while Bruins in respect as well. So Scott, the uh, the Bruins were not able to clinch the President's Trophy last night. I don't believe because they didn't get the victory, but that's obviously a looming uh, accomplishment. And you know, the sixty four wins is still on the table, I suppose. But I think we're both in agreement here that what they should be focusing on is maintaining health and and good habits going into the playoffs. Um, is there anything in particular from the Nashville game that we didn't cover you want to go over, or just anything regarding the Bruins or the league in general? Or your BU Terriers, obviously, going to the Frozen Four, whatever. Uh, on the national game, I don't really think so. The the one thing we haven't mentioned yet is Montgomery did switch up his lines in the third period, reunited the perfection line, dropped DeBrusque down with Krejci and Zaka. And, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily what sparked him in the third period and finally got them generating some offense, or if it was just kind of, that usual second intermission wake up call that they've, you know, had a few times this year. But obviously they they did play better in the third period. It was just too little too late. Um, you know, you you're facing a really good goalie in UC Saros and he was you know, wasn't tested a ton in the first two periods, was in the third and was really on his game. So um, but you know, I think it was the first time in a while that we had seen that in-game switch for for more than like a random shift here and there so you know it was pretty much the entire third period so that was interesting i I think it's probably good to do that a couple times down the stretch anyways just not so much for the perfection line which like those guys are always going to have their chemistry it's like riding a bike but you know give debrusque crazy zaka luck like because you could go to that in the playoffs for a little bit so um yeah, just found that interesting. That was really it from that game. Uh, I have a complaint about the Frozen Four, actually, because I noticed this, uh, like, just yesterday. So the National Championship game is a week from this coming Saturday at 8 o'clock on ESPN. Also, at 8 o'clock on ABC, which is the same company, is Bruins versus Devils. And I'm like, so selfishly, I'm like, okay, I might be having to cover a Bruins game while my BU Terriers are playing for national title, which I'm bummed about. But I'm also like, how does this make sense for ESPN? Like, why are they putting a really good NHL matchup in primetime on ABC and like then totally burying their national championship? Like, wouldn't wouldn't you want to, you know, like you have the frozen four rights, you know, I think they care about it to some extent. Like, why would you do that? Why would you put it up against a primetime NHL elite NHL matchup on your, on your own network? Like I saw that. And I was like, that is very bizarre. Like, I don't know. I don't pretend to fully understand 
TV or or whatever, but that struck me as really odd. I was like, they they could have done double header, like so many other options. Instead, they're going up against each other. Yeah, I think that's probably. I think a. Uh, yeah, I think, I think a five thirty or five o'clock Bruins Devils game would have been would have been great. But then again, there's also other things to to consider, like building availability and this and that. I mean, I don't really know. I mean. Automat is it is, is that game at the Garden or is that game in New Jersey? Probably. Uh, Bruin, Bruins games at the Garden. Garden, yeah. So I mean, like, I mean, I feel like if the Garden is available for an eight o'clock game, it'd be available for a five o'clock game. So I don't think that should that should be a big deal. But yeah, I mean, double headway would have been smart. I mean, obviously, I don't think it's a big secret that you know ESPN and Disney doesn't really view college hockey as a big money maker like they do the NCAA uh, basketball tournaments and and football certainly, but. Um, if, if you're trying to promote the game in general and, and, and the product, then yeah, uh, seems pretty counterintuitive. But then again, they also have a very, very new deal with the NHL, and that's obviously their priority number one is to is to um, promote a you know a primetime NHL game, and, and it just happens like you mentioned that the Bruins and Devils are both really good, so doesn't make a ton of sense, but you know. Uh, big business doesn't always care, so <laughs> that's kind of the way that it works. But that'll be fun. But they're not in the Frozen Four championship yet, right? They're still up the semifinals. It's the night before, right? It's, it's correct. Yeah, Friday, they have Friday. to they have to beat Minnesota, which is uh, so that's a week from Thursday is the semifinals, and yeah, that they're facing the number one overall seed, Minnesota, which is which is a very tough matchup. Um, but I'll give them a chance, and then it's. Michigan, Quinnipiac, and the other one. So I was talking to uh, a couple of the BU guys on the Bruins yesterday, just like around the locker room during morning skate. And uh, they're like, yeah, I just hope it's not Quinnipiac because Connor Clifton's going to be insufferable if they win the national title. I'm sure he would be. Well, Scott, good luck to you and your Terriers. And thank you, everybody else, for listening. We will talk to you very soon. (laughs) 